Father Harrison, sometimes the Catholic world is neat. Okay. It's even kind of nifty. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been playing this video game, Destiny 2. Uh, mm-hmm. The short version of the game is you shoot aliens. Yes. Classic, classic premise, okay? And there's a lot of stuff you can do in the game by yourself. But certain stuff near the end of the game, you need groups of people to do and coordination. You need to speak to people. And so you need what's called a clan. And I wanted to join a clan, but I didn't want to join some rando clan. I didn't want to... It's, no, no. So an idea popped into my head. And I googled Destiny 2 Catholic clan. And I went, God forgive me for this, to a Reddit post about a Catholic clan. Mm-hmm. And so I sent an invite. And it turns out all these people are super cool. Nice. There's like nine priests in the clan. Sweet. Like different people have worked in the church or yep. just you know, recent converts. There's a whole, there's also like, you know, uh, they do prayer requests and stuff, theological discussion. But a lot of it is just like how to play the video game. And just they're very helpful and very mm-hmm. nice. And it's like immediately, immediately, I'm a part of this community because we nice. all have this common ground of Catholicism. And it's just delightful. Nice. It's just delightful. Yeah. You, you, you had reached out to me asking, actually, he listens to the podcast, but my friend priest friend of mine who if he had a clan but he hasn't had a clan in like a year yeah i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i i I failed you that's okay i I don't need you uh because i found my my little (laughs) catholic clan and it's just so wonderful do they listen to the podcast some do apparently uh, a, a few people in the clan were um uh, quietly fanboying uh, about me being a part of the clan. <laughs> I won't name names because that's embarrassing to them. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that nice. was also kind of neat. You know how like somehow, <laughs> not, of course not everyone, some people have no idea, but like yeah, yeah, somehow yeah. our <laughs> podcast reached somebody who plays Destiny 2 who <laughs> isn't part of this clan. So that was kind of yeah, neat. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, we got a compliment for our uh, Father Altman episode. So I was like, all right, yeah, they really do listen. Cool, cool, cool. We've actually gotten a lot of compliments about that episode. From like, and well, from, like, and I, I found out too, like from yeah. all sorts of different sides in the church, which was good. That's that's I'm good. Happy, it's I'm good side. That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have good topics. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens today <laughs> on this episode of Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony, <laughs> and I'm Father Harrison. And where are you, where are you broadcasting from right now? Oh, right. I am broadcasting from my parents' house. Yeah. That's another thing I should probably mention. Um, maybe even more important than video games is that I, <laughs> I finished up my last weekend at my uh, last assignment, I guess. So, um, had my final masses, all the goodbyes, all the cleaning, all the packing. That's all done. So, I'm just hanging out at my parents' place for a week. Nice. Uh, friend of the podcast, Taylor Schroll, is coming up to Pittsburgh. So, we're going to hang out and hit the casinos. Um, and so that's all very, very exciting. I'm also noticing that you've broken your mic stand. I definitely, like right before, so I'm obviously don't have my regular setup. I'm trying to get things configured, and the mic falls off my desk, breaks the mic stand, and so I am holding my microphone. So for any problems in audio, Nick, I apologize. Not just that, but, uh, it's, thank- it's gonna be hard yeah. for you to speak. Why? Oh yeah, so I have one hand. Exactly. How how can an Italian speak if they only have if they only have one hand? This this is just not possible. It's it's it's, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be awkward for it's you. It's gonna be a rough episode. Yeah, it's gonna it be is, awkward for you. But you know what? Uh, you know, uh, in my weakness, uh, God's grace makes me strong. There you go. And also, you know what? Thank God it's Prime Day. It's Prime Day as of recording. So I already purchased a new mic stand. There you go. I'm uh, very excited about it. It's one of the ones that has a swivel boom kind of thing. Oh cool. I think that'll be. That would solve my problems for today. Nice. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's, it's, so Harrison, what's going on with uh, you, buddy? Well, first, it's, it, actually, Prime Day has been apparently postponed in Canada because we're still under a bit more restrictions than you guys are in the States. So Amazon, I uh-huh. guess, felt that they couldn't fulfill sufficient demands for Prime Day. So we'll get it on another day, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. so unfortunately, capitalism has to be delayed because we're a socialist country, right? So, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no. Uh, what's going on? Um, honestly, like, life's just really good lately i don't know what's what's up with all of it but i don't know if it's i think it's just a whole conglomeration of like a bunch of things happening that like jesus is just kind of like showering his love on me and it's kind of awesome oh that's nice um yeah the first thing is i got well first thing is i got my second dose of the pfizer on sunday so that's very Pfizer. Pfizer. Um, so that was very exciting. I got, I was a little tired on Sunday night and I felt pretty junky yesterday morning. <clears throat> My right arm hurt, obviously. And I was just feeling, it wasn't like full on sick. Like I know you got, you got like a fever and everything when you had your second dose. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that, but it just, it was, didn't do a whole lot yesterday. So I watched John Wick 2. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and, uh, um, and then just, I, I was able to do some reading in the afternoon, which was nice. So, but, so I got that and feeling better today, although I woke up with a, like a nasty, nasty sinus headache this morning. You ever, you know, you mm. know, the, oh, those are the worst. And it was just, I woke up just like this massive throbbing in the right part of my head. And I was like, and, and then the sun woke me up at 545 because the sun sucks because it's so early. This is the one thing I hate, the one thing I hate about summer. It's the only thing I hate about summer is how early the mm-hmm. sun comes up. Yeah. And I've been like, and at the same time, like I've been to places like the Yukon where in the summer, the sun doesn't go down at all. Yeah. Like it'll hover around the horizon, but it won't completely go down. It's up 24 seven, which is really weird. It is weird. But, uh, but I assume most houses up there probably have like blackout they curtains do. and stuff. Yeah. My, we're probably going to get, you know, uh, Caitlin was actually suggesting that today and I'll, and, and, uh, I think I might get that. Not, I don't know if I'll do it this summer, but you know, um, everyone's giving me a hard time about wanting to use an eye mask, but I'm like, Hey, it works. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I should get one because I normally just take a scarf and wrap it around my face. That's what yeah, I do. Yeah, Mrs. Ruby. I'm not Jaja Gabor. Okay, come on. Um, it's just being a normal human being wants to like cut out light from his life so that he can actually sleep. Yes, this is a weird thing to but, get upset about. But no, um, no, life's just been really good, and I don't know if it's my new ADHD meds because they've been working a lot more subtly. It could be that. But I've been like yeah, really yeah, yeah. excited to read and study and pray. Like my prayer life has been the best it's been. I would actually even say even before the pandemic, like I just wake up Ooh. in the morning. I don't, I've, I don't, I took my lap. One of the things I was realizing was a problem was my putting my laptop in the living room and just sitting down at the couch and drinking coffee and going to the mm-hmm. laptop in the morning. That was a bad idea. So I moved the laptop out of the living room. Yeah. <laughs> I go make a coffee go. and I go straight to my chapel in the morning and maybe I won't start praying right away, but I'll do some reading or something like that just to get yeah, things yeah. going. And then I pray my office in there and get some time of prayer. And it's been just really good. And I'm just like, just some experiences this week and the last week of good and bad things where Jesus is just like, I want to love you through this. I shall share one thing. I'll share one thing. I don't want to talk too long, but I, I kind of shared this on Twitter. I, I won't go into too many details, but I got a pretty mean spirited email last week or two weeks ago from a pressure. This, this does happen from time to this time. This does happen. I won't say what the content was or anything. I don't want to out them. And I don't, um, and it was interesting because as I was driving, I went, 
to the bank after being in the office, driving home, and I was trying to make it, I was trying to downplay how it, it actually did hurt. <laughs> and yeah. it did. And then, you know, you, your thoughts go through your mind. Jesus, like, is this really worth it? Like, having to be wounded this way, having to suffer this way, having to deal with some of the mean-spirited stuff, all that stuff. Like, is this really worth it? Like, why, why am I doing this? Not that I was having like a crisis mm-hmm. of vocation or anything, but just sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. parents go through it too, I'm sure, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, like those, it's just those little moments of, is it worth the suffering? And mm, mm. I got back and Jesus was like, I want to love you through this. Mm-hmm. And it was like a moment of a wound of love where actually in the suffering, he showed me how much he desires me in that. And I was like, oh, wow, holy smokes. Oh, yeah. Like this is it right here. And I think that was like the starting of the grace to start seeing everything kind of as a gift. The key is it's also a work. You have to kind of do it. So, um, so yeah. I actually, and I actually wrote a response. I sat, sat on it for 24 hours. And I totally rewrote it the next day, essentially inviting them mm-hmm. to live to ex- just as I accept everyone in the parish as a gift, that they accept me as a gift in both my strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard anything back. I don't know if I will, but um and then Jesus just, I don't know, things just changed that day. And I don't know what it is. Nice. But, like, I see everything a lot differently now. And I don't know what's going on. But I'm, God is good. So I just wanted to show that God is good. You know what? That is true. And it's very exciting that you've returned to your prayer life. It's even more exciting that we're returning to the Summa Theologica. Summa Theologica. Summa Oh, I was so happy about my transition. <laughs> I like, I got okay, to imp- hold on. Hold on. I got hold to on, imply on. that you haven't been praying. Exactly. That was funny. <laughs> uh, I'm praying, folks. Don't worry. It's just it's deeper and more frequent. And uh, the tweets have been deeper and more frequent on the Summa Tweetologica. <laughs> there we go. What a recovery. I'm so proud of myself. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is the summary of things that Father Harrison found interesting on Twitter because he's the (laughs) only one who picks tweets for this, and it's very nice of him. So first up, this is a tweet from Ulrich L. Lenner, and he tweets, I was shocked to learn how many hashtag priests interrupt children at their hashtag first hashtag confession. They obviously do not realize the wounds they inflict on them. At USCCB, tell them. Kids experience they are uh, kids experience kids experience they are not taken seriously. Why come back then? Hashtag Catholic Twitter. So I was kind of surprised by this. I don't know where right. he's getting his uh, information, but you know, even just taking it at uh, at face value, um, I feel like it's really hard to mess up 
uh, a first confession as a priest. Like, actually, this is one of the things that I, I find most joy in um, mm-hmm. because I have an opportunity to not be a jerk for their mm-hmm. first confession. Because I don't know about you, but I've heard tons of stories from uh, older generations about the, the first confession they had or how a priest yelled at them or whatever. I've heard these stories in the past. Right. And so the, the fact that I can just like not do that that's exciting for me but even more so it's one of the more like fatherly moments you experience uh where this you know kid and they're all kind of some are nervous um some don't quite know what sin is yet um some you know you get all kinds but it's a beautiful experience where you can just show them like hey this isn't that scary yes it's tough to talk about the things you did wrong uh but god's gonna forgive you and it's pretty simple and it's one of the more joyful moments of my priesthood um what did you think about this, Harrison? So he was actually, it did come from experience where I guess his daughter did her first confession. Oh. And, and the priest said only two sins. You can only say two sins. Oh, no. What? And I'm like. Oh. First of all, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. Kids, kids are sinners. Like, let's not pretend that they're not. Like, even from a very young age, <laughs> if you hang out with kids, very, very early on, they learn that they can kind of sometimes lie or they get, you know, they have trouble sharing and stuff. They're sinners like the rest of us, even though their mm-hmm. sins are slightly more adorable than ours. Um, the whole thing, like, just two sins? I know. Like, I didn't the, like that. And I think that's, that's where it's coming from because he's like, you know, how are they supposed to develop their consciences? And, and, yes. And Ulrich teaches actually at Notre Dame. He's a, he's a oh. history, theo- uh, theological historian uh, at, at Notre Dame there. So I think he was just frustrated from the experience of his child. And, and I sure, was like, yeah, yeah I, I don't, like, why, why would you interrupt ever? I, okay, there's, oh, there's a couple things with this. One is first, like, yeah. actually, I just, I got to do a bunch of, like, first confessions or first and second confessions and stuff for our kids in our religious ed program a couple weeks ago. And it's funny, it's, the more I do them, the more they're just such a delight. They really mm-hmm. are, because obviously without revealing anything at all, yeah. but in general, it's quite adorable what a child will think about as sinful, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's also interesting. You also get experience like the whole range of personalities with this, right? There is the dismissive Absolutely. attitude of like, oh yeah, I just did this, this, okay, just give me my penance, let me get out of here. While there's mm-hmm. the other ones who take it like super seriously and like have like incredibly thorough examinations. They take it like it's just like, wow, man, you're better than mm-hmm. some adults, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, it and it's just like that that little voice is just something quite adorable. And, it is, it is though. <laughs> and it's just, as much of it, it's just as much of a gift for the priest, I think, as it is for the child. And like what we did is, I, I when we do like first or confessions like this with our religious ed programs, is I always go and talk to the kids just for five minutes, just let them know what's happening. I say, don't worry, mm-hmm. everything you say to me there, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell your parents, so you can feel free to say anything you want there. Uh, and I always tell them, like, if I tell anybody, I get excommunicated. And I tell them what excommunication is. They're like, well, that's a big deal. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's why. <laughs> but just to help to give yeah. them some comfort, right? Uh, yeah. So there's that. But there are times and places, too, where I think a priest can interrupt people. Mm-hmm. But not with kids. Kids, it's it's quite, you let them do their thing. Because here's the other yeah. thing. They're not also, like, they're not neurotic. <laughs> Right. <laughs> They're just like, actually, kids give some, I think in some ways, I want kids to teach adults how to do it, go to confession. <laughs> because they'll just kind of say, I did X, Y, and Z. They won't give me the whole story. They won't give me the whole background. Mm-hmm. They just kind of go in and just say, this is what I did. I'm like, man, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. But, but sometimes people come into confession 
and they start giving you backstories and they start excusing mm-hmm. their sins or mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. start confessing stuff that I'm like, this isn't sin. And yeah. they're going on for a while, especially at confession times. You're like, there's lineups here. And so sometimes yeah. there is a point where a priest says, I'm going to have to just stop. You do it gently and just say, I'm just going to have to stop yes. you here. I don't, and you just do some gentle instruction, right? Like I don't need yes. the backstory. I just need to hear the sins. If I need more details, I'll ask you for the, I'll ask those questions, yeah. right? And those are often moments of catechesis and stuff. Some people may not take it well, but I think it's important. So I think in that case, it's okay to interrupt, but with children, never. Yeah. Yeah. Often you don't need to, you might need to guide them a little bit. Yep. Uh, there are times where I've, I've had to lead a kid through an examination of conscience. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, no, I will say, I will say I, I find that the way people confess um i see a lot of similarities between adults and children because sometimes i will hear hear excuses from kids like uh my sister was being mean to me and she wouldn't share this toy so i had to push her and then i'll hear it you know um you know my wife was really nagging me and i had a tough day at work and so i you know i had to yell at her it's like what no yeah (laughs) you know sometimes you do see that um uh, but yeah, and it's it's so very much. You know, sometimes I think uh, guys in seminary they worry about what are the things I'm going to say when someone confesses this or that mm-hmm. sin. Yeah, and that is not nearly as important as the kind of the pastoral tone that you use. Because um, yeah. you know, especially people can't see your face if you're doing behind the screen, um, and they're super nervous. They're going to pick up on every kind of intonation that you use. So yeah. just kind of being gentle being pastoral and sometimes you do need to be uh you know firm with stuff yep. um there have been a very rare few occasions where i, I where confessions have gotten combative maybe like two yeah. times in my you know five years of priesthood and those are extraordinary exceptions yeah um, but for the most part just kind of some gentle guidance yep uh that kind of does a trick and people yep. are cool with that yeah amen and also there's nothing wrong with three hail marys as a penance oh yeah okay just quickly on that one folks actually this is something i told the kids I said, listen, yeah. I'm going to give you all the same penance. You're all getting one Our Father today. <laughs> yeah. But there's, here's the cool thing. Always mm-hmm. with those confessions is it always often, especially when the parents hear, like, they'll come, they'll come for confession too, which is always a good thing. Um, yeah. But I said to the kids, I said, the reason I'm giving it to sim- a very easy one is this. Is one is, it's your first confession. I want you to know God's mercy. Second thing mm-hmm. is, it's actually the priest's responsibility to do penances for the people who come to him for confession. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take on more. I'll take on your penances for you out of love mm. for you. Right. Oh, and that's the, really nice. I like that. And, and the kids kind of find that comforting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I, this one's from Katie Corcoran. Cause I just thought this was such a beautiful thing. So th- just as a little context, her son got into a pretty bad car accident and mm. um, thankfully he's actually doing quite well. No real injuries or anything, but the car is pretty much total. And so she says, Oof. I went, uh, through the box of things from Aaron's car. That's her son. He's seven, uh, 17. As I cleaned off each item, I said a prayer of gratitude, not only for God's protection over him during his class, but also that these are the things my nearly 17-year-old keeps in his car. What a gift. And so you see you see some things you'd expect from a 16, 17-year-old. You see like a an iPhone charger, mini, mini uh, Jenga set, you know, a rosary... <laughs> A scriptural catechism, you know, normal things a teenager carries in their car, right? Yeah, An yeah, umbrella, yeah. you know, a, a miraculous medal, a crucifix, a, a, <laughs> a little pocket New Testament, you know, normal things that teenagers carry in their yeah. car, right? Like you carry these things exactly. in your car when you're a teenager, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I carried I carried around a uh, 
uh, a 1962 uh, Roman missile in my car when I was a teen. No, no, I didn't carry anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you you might have found a rosary if you looked like under the seat cushions. And, and for Kay's just an awesome person to follow on Twitter, folks. Um, she's just so joyful and, and and loving of her family, and it's just a real great witness to just that that normal Catholic faith in in family life. Um, but I was like quite amazed. I'm like, man, like, does he have a vocation? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, but um, like to have all these things in his car is is quite impressive for for a teenager, and it, to me, it's a sign of also that you know his family has done a good job of mm-hmm. showing that faith is just integral to life and it's part of who you are as a person, and that this is yeah. something that you you take pride in it and everything, right? I just thought, wow. That's really cool. And I'm sorry for the vacuuming sounds. Our janitor's doing vacuuming around the parish, if you hear it. Sorry. Well, that's important, too. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I just thought what a, it was a very joyful thing to see. And what a gift that is. And and then you see that reverse thing, too, of a mom who's proud of her son making oh, this yeah. his own. Right? That he's making this his own. This is not something she forced on him or anything. It's just something he's done for himself, which is really cool. Yeah, I'm glad he's okay. I'm glad he's doing well. Absolutely. Maybe no more playing mini Jenga while you're driving, though. I think that's yeah. the lesson I learned from this story. Don't play Jenga while driving. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all of the Jenga blocks are intact. Well, that's good. That's yeah. a blessing. That is a blessing. <laughs> yeah. So no, that is cool. Yeah, that's all I have to say about it. Oh. But I thought it was real sure. Yes. All right. Now it's time for presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Father Harrison, do you like the Eucharist? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you cool about talking about it a little bit? I am bit? cool about talking about it a little bit because, you know, it's yeah. being talked also, about. It's being talked about, and you've been talking about. It. You wrote a little article on it. I did uh, recently. I did, yes. Well, okay, we'll get. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, if you've been on social media lately, or just seen stuff in the news, I assume this is in the news as well. There's a whole big hubbub, uh, hullabaloo, a a a kerfuffle uh, regarding the Eucharist right now. Not that anything has changed. And that's the fun thing. They're like, nothing's changed as far as teaching uh, or anything like that. But as you may know, we are in an awkward situation as a church in America because we have a president who is a baptized Catholic who seems to go to mass regularly, who also in his policies is just all about abortion, Uh, just super for it, right? And this is a problem because if someone is in grave obstinate sin and promoting abortion would obviously be that one should not receive the Eucharist. Right. And so this has begun a big discussion because the bishops of the USCCB uh, are planning on uh, writing a document just talking about the Eucharist. And one of the things in this teaching document will be um, Eucharistic coherence and kind of like when one should and should not receive the Eucharist. So 
that doesn't maybe if that doesn't seem like a big deal if you've read the news it's a huge deal because <laughs> this has been misinterpreted in a thousand different oh ways this is some sort of political attack on joe biden why well, i love how the usccb is either always too far left or too far right for everybody um when in reality they're just a very boring group of bishops no offense there's some very good bishops in there <laughs> yeah oh my goodness um and so this has caused a huge ruckus and there have been two sides of this debate mainly um those who are kind of saying well you know you're in grave sin you shouldn't receive the eucharist that's bad bad for your soul bad for a whole host of reasons um and then there's the other side saying well you know nobody's really worthy to receive the eucharist how can you judge these people's souls and blah 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 and you get all kinds so you've got people saying that they're going to leave the church because of this which i'm always like are you like how attached are you to like the body of christ in the first place mm -hmm. um but harrison you wrote an article around this debate i did and you did the rats and garing thing where you like you saw the two sides <laughs> but you're like but they're both missing the point, aren't they, Father Harrison? <laughs> Is this your way of saying, I'm going to do a topic, but I'm going to make Father Harrison actually do the work? <laughs> this is exactly what I planned because I've been packing, I've been moving around, I have not been reading, I have been engulfed in my emotions and I knew you wrote this article about it and I skimmed it and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do because I am kind of my own particular brilliance when it comes to podcasting, Father Harrison. All right. So, yeah, I wrote an article for OSV. <laughs> I, I just, I've been talking about it. I've been tweeting about it a bit, too, um, because I was just finding the discussion being going the wrong way on both sides uh, yeah. um, and, and really focusing actually on and missing the point. And so I, I kind of finally decided, okay, do I, I'm going to quickly put my thoughts down. And I submitted it to OSV because I, I, um, I know one of the editors quite well. I said, listen. If you like it, great. If not, I just wanted to write this out so I could. And they said, no, we want to publish this. Uh, this is really, mm -hmm. really important. And apparently it's been, um, it's starting to make a few little rounds with some bishops as well, which is a good thing. So, yeah. Um, so the whole point of the article was saying like, listen, there is a truth to both sides, right? Yeah, this is the, I've been, you can tell I read so much Ratzinger because it's like, let's, let's yeah. use the lens <laughs> of charity here and let's see what, what, both sides are trying to get to and see if there's a truth there without but recognizing there's also a problem with how the debate's going forward so there is a truth right that yes nobody is worthy to receive uh that yes um we don't we can't judge the soul that's not the mm -hmm. church's position but there's also a truth that actions can be judged and that mm -hmm. canon 915 exists for this purpose mm -hmm to judge that when someone is in public, that's the key word there, public, mm -hmm. obstinate sin. Uh, JD and Ed are gonna be so happy we're talking about canon law here. Um, yeah. They, that there's not only, uh, that actually a bishop has the right to refuse the Eucharist to certain individuals. This is not just politicians, by the way, this is any major public figure who is constantly undermining central teachings of the faith either through policy 
or through promotion, right? So if a, mm -hmm. if a Catholic celebrity who goes to mass every Sunday was trying to push different things on abortion, I know abortion is kind of the main one. There are many other issues that we could bring to. Um, I think that they could fall under this as well because they're trying to push right. something that's contrary to the faith and they're doing it pub constantly and in an obstinate fashion without any public repentance. Um, one quick thing just to know, okay, so because like one of the big things is like, okay, well, what about this teaching? What about that teaching? I'm like, okay, like, you know, every Catholic who does contraception shouldn't be taking the Eucharist. I'm like, well, that's true, but correct, it's not a public act. <laughs> and so if the it bishops, was, oh no, that would be a problem, you know? <laughs> Despite what some people think, the church is not in the bedroom. So, uh, no. um, or sorry, the authority <laughs> of the church is not in the bedroom, right? So, um, it's not a public act and so there and it's not something that's wild, wi wi widely known and so that there that's up to the individual to recognize their sin if they bring it to confession it's up to a priest to say this is where you're at and you ought not to go to communion but a priest could not refuse communion in those situations because there's nothing public okay so okay, and it's but also, also but, but also there's also like there's a hierarchy of truths here of moral mm -hmm. truths right and the taking of life the right to life is actually one of the most fundamental laws here so you know it is different than say a politician who is promoting a certain environmental policy that might be against creation that that's a different moral norm that mm -hmm. we have to take into account and while at the same time recognizing like back in the day man bishops would just say like you're yeah they just gave index to everyone like if you didn't go to a yeah. catholic school in some dioceses you couldn't go to communion if you're a Catholic, that's, that's a little much. A little much. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> Just a bit. I interrupted you. Oh, no. Because, I mean, the other side of this is that, so for like the couple that's using contraception um, and knows the teaching and is doing it anyway, um, those people should not receive communion because that, because receiving communion in that state will be harmful to them. Yep. Um, whether or not people know it or not. And this is one thing I, I kind of wanted to bring to the conversation. Uh, getting aside from the um, uh, taking a, a bit of a side real quick mm -hmm. is that I have seen this in parishes and churches and people the the scandalous effect that receiving communion improperly has on the soul mm -hmm. and you can do it okay so for example uh, you are going on vacation and you decide not to go to mass because either you were too busy or whatever you had time to schedule entire vacation but not time to figure out where to go to mass okay you should go to confession before receiving again right but let's say you don't because you think really it's not that big a deal you receive this begins to have a numbing effect on the soul uh because you begin to think well you know i received i didn't burst into flame you know so are the church's teachings really that important and over time you become numb to the effects of uh, the Eucharist, that mass becomes more and more of an obligation, that you become more and more less attached to Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. And you can see over time that mass becomes this dry ritual because you're cutting yourself off from grace even as you're receiving the Eucharist. This puts the soul in a very dangerous state. And it's not like some big dramatic thing um, on the outside. It's not, you know, some bishop writing you an interdict or whatever, yeah. but more and more you become spiritually numb. And this is something that happens in parishes all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So the problem, though, in the debate has been that it 
is actually missing the point of Canon 915. Mm-hmm. And I actually really do see this as an opportunity for the church's teaching on herself, like on the church from Lumen Gentium, is actually a moment, it's an opportunity to really start to implement it. Because the whole point of Canon 915 is the idea of the Eucharist as symbol of communion. And okay, I need to find some terms, baby. I need to put some asterisks <laughs> there with the word symbol because. I was actually thinking about this yesterday, like how we use the word symbol. We, we, today, we, mm-hmm. we, ah, man, modernity is so banal. Uh, like, because uh, we use the word symbol <laughs> just to mean like um, a sign. A stop sign. A, yeah, a sign <laughs> of something, but it doesn't actually yeah. really manifest it, okay? No, the more ancient sense of symbol is first to unify, right? To bring together. And so it also then has something effective to it. So actually, when we talk about, we can actually talk about the Eucharist as symbol because it actually does affect what it signifies, which is communion. Like this is why we call it communion, right? That do you, at the heart of the church is that the Eucharist is the bond of the church. And so Canon 915 exists to say that if you are publicly obstinate in positions that are substantially contrary to the Catholic faith. And I'm saying substantially here, like there are some, like if you were, if a, hey, if a Catholic politician was out there saying, I don't believe in the Trinity or I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm gonna go to communion every Sunday. That would actually, I would argue, be another reason to push Canon 915. Um, Is then you're saying publicly that you're not in communion with the church, which is, a big body of, of all believers. Yeah. And so the point one, actually I would argue the first effect of the Eucharist is not something personal, but ecclesial. Okay. That the reason we receive the Eucharist is to bring about the bond of communion with Christ in the life of the church, right? We receive the body of Christ to become the body of Christ, which is not just me personally, but actually the whole church. And so I've been finding that what's been lacking in the debate and actually, I think would actually bring a lot more dialogue and fruit in the debate is if we started to focus on the ecclesial effect of the Eucharist. Um, this is something that uh, Pope Benedict slash Ratzinger has actually talked a lot about because one of his main focuses is ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. Um, but the whole point of saying you can't receive communion while you're doing this is to say, you're not in communion with the church. And it's something actually the ancient church understood quite well. Like even bishops would say, I'm not in communion with you because you're teaching Arianism or whatever. I can't, we're not in communion, right? There's a reason Mm -hmm. I would argue, even though they're in schism still, but they're not excommunicated anymore. You should not receive communion from the FSSP, even though it's a valid map, or sorry, SSPX, not SSSP, sorry. SSPX. Mea culpa. Um, not the same thing. Yeah. Not the same thing. Um, uh, mm. Is because they're not in communion, right? Mm-hmm. They are not in communion. Even though it's valid, they're not in communion because the Eucharist is not a private treat that I receive to, from <laughs> Jesus, but it's a, the gift of Christ to the church so that the church can become more in union with him. And I think this is like, essentially, like that's the central point in all this. And that's the heart of the debate. So then it, it gets away from this idea of like, are you worthy? Well, of course, no one's worthy. And it also gets away the idea of like the personal responsibility of the soul and like worrying about their soul. These are both true things, but they're actually meant yep. to be um, put under the ecclesiological element. I mean, this also, like this whole weekend, especially, I think also 
as a little aside, and if you want to go into it, we can, has also brought, I think, to light the lack of understanding of what the church is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, go, maybe we'll get to that, because I want to talk a little bit about this whole communion thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because every priest, and probably every Catholic, has experienced this. The awkward time, usually at a funeral or at a wedding, where it's time for communion. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be Catholics and non-Catholics there. And pastorally, what I try to do is to tell people, when you receive communion, you're saying that you believe the things that church teaches, that you are striving to live these out, that when you fail, you are going to God's mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation. So if you don't believe those things, for you to receive would be betraying your own faith and your own beliefs. Now that's, in my opinion, kind of a minor point, comparison to the bigger points, but I figure that's kind of a good pastoral way to get people to see like this is not a great idea. Um, But there is such a misunderstanding around communion, which may lead to your ecclesiology topic. Uh, Because I have met, um, oh, I don't want to out anybody, Um, but I received a, a letter from somebody who would go to mass very often, but never entered into the church, but appreciated the community, the preaching and everything. And uh, in this overall very nice letter, there was some comments about the uh, man-made nature of the laws of receiving mm-hmm. communion. Um, this is something that, and this for a lot of Catholics, don't get this. We would like an easy communion. We would like a, a communion that doesn't mean anything. And I always go back to the Gospel of John um, in the Last Supper discourse. And one of the things that Jesus is praying for is that everyone may be one mm-hmm. as he and the Father are mm-hmm. one. Now, that's a real intense oneness. He's saying that we should be one like the Trinity is mm-hmm. one. We should be unified as the Trinity is unified. And so that means something more than just, well, we both like scripture. Uh, that means more than, you know, uh, we have a handful of beliefs we agree and we like helping the poor. Like all that stuff is important mm-hmm. and you know, worthy of praise of those little pieces of communion. But this is like unified hearts, minds, mm-hmm. and unified in the body of Christ. And so if someone doesn't believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, if they don't think the priesthood is real, that's not communion. It's just right. not. And then the other thing that gets me is why people care about this so much who aren't Catholic. There are so many opinions from people outside of the church who think all of this is silly, who uh, get upset about this, who think that all teaching is bunk. And I find that phenomena fascinating. I think it speaks to an inner desire, however latent or small, to be a part of the church. Yeah. Let's actually let's address your last question first. I think part of this is, so again, I mean, and it's, it's the great horror of of the weekend if you will from what i saw media is i find it ironic how we're being accused of politicizing the eucharist when it's in fact i would argue something completely opposite now i do think i will Mm -hmm. i will put a little caveat with this i do think that you see it's it's interesting how people are also reading the debate i sorry 20 ideas going through my head one is i don't think first the usccb foresaw what was what was going to (laughs) come i do not think they foresaw the media outrage over this secondly they actually haven't said anything yet they're just voting on whether they should do a document 
right? A document that most people will not read, by the way, right? Yeah. Third, they've actually talked talked about this in 2006, by the way, already. So it's already there because the USCCB has no authority to tell the bishops what they can and can't do. Each bishop has an authority unto himself. Um, by virtue of his office in each diocese according to the laws of the church. So the USCCB cannot impose itself on, you have to do this with this politician or this celebrity or this public person with Canon 915 Bishop in middle nowhere America. They can't do that. Um, so, but in all of that, I do think, and I hope that they'll bring out, I would call the core moral and theological errors that are being promoted that would forbid or per forbid someone to go into communion if they're publicly promoting this so that is mm -hmm. not i think there is a truth again we have to remember yeah there is a there is um a moral there's a moral hierarchy here but i think there are some other moral evils that would constitute the the, the the forbidding of of the reception of giving the Eucharist to someone because here's the other thing the Eucharist is a gift not a right so also that you always have to remember this so okay because uh, like for example I think I could make the I think I would make the argument okay man I really hate talking about politics folks please understand that I'm a Canadian who knows nothing about American politics and really tries to keep his head out of it but I think the child separation policy in the states which by the way is still in force under this administration mm -hmm. would also be a reason to forbid communion sure because you're destroying you're, you're yeah. destroying the fundamental building cell society which is the family right a core teaching mm -hmm. of the church okay so that's just an example that it's not mm -hmm. just about this okay um but I, I think the irony is, is that the church really isn't politicizing the Eucharist. It's, it's actually the politicians who are politicizing the Eucharist. And, 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 and again, the heresy of Americanism likes to see everything through a political lens. And I think we're seeing more and mm -hmm. more clearly. I, it's interesting. I've actually been pondering this a little bit. I start to understand why the church was so hesitant towards the liberal nation state in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. I get it a bit more because you're starting to see that the liberal state isn't value neutral about the meaning of life. Right. It actually has a position and place to say something that is fundamentally, it does put itself in opposition to Catholicism. Now I'm not arguing just so we're aware, I'm not arguing for a kind of a modern version of integralism here, but I do, right. but I think this is part, I think this is the fear. And this has always been the fear of America about Catholics. If Catholicism yep. is true, that means the incarnation is real. And this is part of like getting back to your earlier thing, like man-made rules and everything. No, if the incarnation is true, then that brings mm -hmm. about institution. That brings about visible body. That brings about visibleness in all its arrays because Christ is encountered today through his church. And because it is a gathering of a people and a nation, we have to have laws for the just ordering of the society of the church. This is not a man-made rule. This is actually a, an expression of the core of what the Eucharist means as Christ instituted it. And the bishops have the role yes. and duty to ensure that this is always lived out in the church, okay? But if this is true, and the Catholics and, some, and more and more bishops come out, because so by the way, folks, there are some bishops who already refuse certain politicians communion in their dioceses. So don't, this is not something new. 
Um, yeah. If if it was the case that this comes out to be more and more promoted, um, we would have to. It, it's going to confirm the fear of the American liberal state, which is that Catholicism makes a universal claim about human yep. life and reality. But the American project says, no, no, we make a universal claim about life and reality. And this is where the conflict is starting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think the, I think this, this whole kerfuffle has shown that the desire to find compatibility between, at least in this case, America and the church, that project has come to an end. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, whether people not realize it or yeah. not. Uh, this is also, you know, speaking about how the church isn't politicizing this, um, it's hard to politicize something when you've literally had the same stance for almost right. 2,000 years. Like, this is not new teaching or whatever. But it, it, it is, this is a very revelatory moment uh, in the church in America. Uh, because how do you get someone like Joe Biden? Because I do not think he is an atypical Catholic in the United States. How do you get someone who seems pretty genuine in his love for the faith in certain senses, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he quoted Eagle's Wings. I mean, that's as good old-fashioned Catholic American parish as you can get, right? Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> By the way, they played Eagle's Wings uh, for my last Mass, and I was like, this isn't my funeral. Why are we playing Eagle's Wings? Anyway. <laughs> and so I think in a certain sense, we are paying for the sins of our past, where you have a culture or a lack of teaching that kind of gives the wink and nod that y- you can go to church, you can do these things, and if you don't really believe in something, well, we're not going to talk about it much anyway. It's not that big a deal. This kind of soft Catholicism has given rise to a lot of Catholics who are just like Joe Biden. Uh, and all of a sudden, we, the bishops, I mean, I mean, this is political in the sense that it just ha- it's become political, right? Uh, the whole fact that Joe Biden is a Catholic is the impetus for like, hey, we need to talk about the Eucharist again. Um, and also it's right to do so because it is confusing for Catholics. Um, and so it's an important time to restate church teaching. But we're, we're seeing the fruits that the, the church has been bearing for the last, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years of uh, this kind of soft Catholicism. And it would be nice if we could discuss this in charity uh, and fraternity and understanding. And I think the church should try to do that. But because this has gone under the radar for so long, it seems like all of a sudden the church is taking a stand or changing its teaching or taking a shot at Joe Biden when it really isn't that. So it's this weird thing where it's, it's not that but I can totally understand how people see it that way because this is what happens when you're not consistent with your teaching, your ethics, um, and just building a genuinely Catholic, uh, culture in America instead of trying to marry it with, uh, American Protestantism. And that's very much why the debate around the Eucharist is what it is. It's this very Protestant idea of me and my Eucharist instead of me and my Jesus to use kind of colloquial phrases. And now we are, seeing all this come to light and it's gonna be messy 
But I think it has so, to happen. Yeah, this whole thing about the privacy of faith, right? This is actually, I think, one of the, mm-hmm. in the in a way, so this idea, like, uh, I was reading, the, the, this article I was reading on mediation by Schindler that I mentioned in our last episode, he brings, this is actually his starting point of his article, is the idea of, like, religious pluralism, how do we account for it as a Catholic today? And, and he doesn't, he's not trying to deal with the problem, but he says, you know, we've privatized religion, or we've privatized faith to a point of saying, like, not only is it a personal choice, like, which, you know, which club am I going to join, et cetera, or, or which gym am I going to go to, which is essentially how we see it nowadays. But that mm-hmm. even in there, like, and this is, he's right again, like this privatization though has meant that he's not saying like, you, some people live a very genuine devout life, but it's very privatized still. We do not see the universal mm-hmm. claim of Catholicism clearly anymore because we've allowed the relegation of the Catholic to the private, which is actually like at its yeah. core, Contrary to the nature of Catholicism, right? Catholicism yes. will not say <laughs> this is the ideal form of this of, of the nation. This isn't like she can't she's not, but she's going to say, but we have a claim to the human heart in every culture and in every nation, and because Christ comes for all people and he wants to address them. And this is the heart so this gets to two problems that are are at the core of this debate. The one is the more philosophical, which is the problem I keep on harping on, which is the problem of mediation. Because if Christ mm-hmm. comes into the world, then that touches the world. He's made a universal claim just by the incarnation itself. And if we believe the incarnation and the resurrection to be what they are, they themselves have a universal scope. Um, by re- we have you have to see this through the lens of a real like a real analogy and connection between like. The fact that our human nature is not just like this atomized self, but that there's like a real nature of what it means to be human. And so when Christ enters this, it transforms that already. Mm-hmm. And we, by virtue of our position with creation, thus that also then touches down towards creation and to the whole cosmos, because that's the whole point of the redemptive work of Christ is to draw all creation into himself. So that's the universal claim of the incarnation. And that universal claim is then made sacramentally present through the church. The ch- and so this is this is the next point. The church now has a universal claim. And she has something to say about what it means to be human and who God is and what the world is. So now and this is the so this means though that she has to be incarnational. She actually has to touch the material world. You see I think a lot of these people who are saying oh not yeah. oh the rules or whatever I get where they're coming from but like that's actually anti-incarnation. And you see that, like, I, I think for me, yeah. one of the greatest heresies today, in my opinion, is that actually we have a strong denial of the incarnation. We are spiritualists, right? Oh, yeah. I was actually reading Giassani's The Risk of Education this morning, and he was reading uh, a Jewish, the old, one of the old Jewish rabbis from Rome, and he was saying that, you know, it's weird, it seems like it's reversed today. Catholics want to get to heaven and Jews want God to come to earth. He goes, but isn't, and the rabbi says, isn't, aren't, isn't that, isn't it the really, that the Christian role is the idea of bringing God to earth? And Jason and, and like, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. He jumped out of his chair, he said. Um, but like, this is the yeah. point. It's like, yeah, actually, no, there's already a something new here. It's not perfect. It's not finished, but it's already at work here in the life of the church. And so the church herself lives in this embodied way through the structures of what it means to be human, human society, etc. And she organizes herself this way. And she has to. It's the logic of the incarnation. 
This is the, like, you -hmm. cannot have Christ without the church. It is literally impossible. And Christ makes it clear in his teaching. Paul makes it especially clear in 1 Corinthians with his teachings on the Eucharist and the church. Um, But then, and this is the whole point of the Eucharist then, is that this is, this is the place where that union between God and man happens in Christ through the Eucharist, which builds up the body of the church to be this universal sign and presence in the world, which is always meant to be a prophetic sign to the world to say, hey, this is where life is here and now. But mm-hmm. it means we need to kind of be more focused, if you will, even if you will, like on this world. But it means then that like, so we have like an ecclesiological crisis and we have a sacramental mm-hmm. theology crisis because we have a crisis of what it means to be human and we have a crisis of creation's relationship with God and that and we have a crisis of understanding how God can work in the world sorry and rant why does it feel no it was a great rant uh, I have some comments about it but why does it feel like the the word that has defined my experience as a Catholic since I've become consciously Catholic why is that word always crisis hmm. I think there's okay I'm just gonna yeah. drop that and, and move on but that's what it yeah. feels like sometimes um, and I'm, I'm thinking back to your comments on uh, the mutually exclusive claims yeah. if you will about the that the nation state and the church have and it's it's becoming increasingly obvious that the liberal nation state wants communion yes. without Christ and it and it it's trying to build up a false communion yeah it's trying to build up a false yes by false unity communion. yeah Exactly. And it totally makes sense historically, because after after all the wars of religion and the Protestant Reformation, the, you know, rulers trying to find some sort of way to keep people together. And we know that there is no genuine communion without Christ. I mean, just look at look at look at the state of America right now. Uh, We keep everyone. Everyone agrees that we're more devices divisive than ever. And the answer is, yeah, because a nation can't hold people together. There has to be something deeper in that. And I think you see a lot of the schism, quasi-schism in the American church right now is because we have adopted the ideals of the liberal nation state and we're forcing them into the church. That's why you have crazy YouTube uh, televangelists and people on the right and the left because they've adopted, they've allowed this heresy of Americanism to seep into their idea of what Catholicism is. And I think the great project of our time is to borrow a phrase is rediscovering catholicism uh it really is and Mm -hmm. we uh (laughs) um and that's why and it's so tough to do because a lot of times we forget how infected we are with the culture we like to pretend we're not uh but it has been going in and out of our lungs for so long it's hard to rediscover the genuine catholic thing whether that be on uh gender uh you know masculinity and femininity um the uh, communion, uh, everything. Uh, it's you have people with maybe good intentions, at least at first, trying to rediscover these things, not realizing how much modernity they're injecting into them. And so that's a perfect recipe for yeah. crisis. And that's what's going on right now. It's two quick things. One is I think there's always a crisis because sin is always at work in the world. And yeah, yeah. so sin wants to bring division, which always brings a crisis. So there's always going to be yeah. crisis until the end. Secondly True. is, yes, the, we're always trying to find a way. How can we live peaceably together? And I think it comes from this false idea that we want to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I mean, we could do, I would love, I think it'd be fun. We actually, what we should do one day. I would love us to read um, William Cavanaugh's Migrations of the Holy. 
Okay. Because this is where my idea of like liberal nation as religion um, mm -hmm. comes. And by the way, the word religion comes from the enlightenment. It's a, it's a, the whole notion of religion is mm -hmm. an enlightened phrase that tries to privatize things. You're right. The wars of religion is something that has tried to force things because they, um, but it shows you like the need for man to have unity, but there's only, yeah. but this is the whole point of Christ. And, but there's, and there's always going to, here's the, the sad thing, folks. There's always going to be violence. This is the whole mm -hmm. point of the cross, by the way, is to show that mm. the violence wants to, evil and sin wants to destroy the good. And the only way that the evil can be overcome is by that self-offering of love on the cross. Finally, I think, you know, your point, and I think this is a point we need to, as a church, be better about, is to take the incarnation more seriously. And by this, I mean that we need to be more involved in life. That how do we become because the whole thing is that the church is not meant to be a competing society per se but she's supposed to be a leavening society yes right mm -hmm. whereby the communion we live and share with you is meant to be lived and shared with each other which means it's meant to be lived right that catholicism is not a sunday duty where i just go get my Eucharist, get a few words and a homily where I'm told how to be a better person. Cause by the way, the whole other part of the problem is that we're focusing on moralism because we're, cause, cause the North America is still infected by its Puritan origins. Um, yeah. but we need to actually get to the more fundamental question of what corresponds to my heart, right? What, what is, which can only happen in the experience of community. And I don't mean community in like the self-built sense, but the community that comes from communion that is a gift received, that I see the community as a gift, that I see the other as a gift, whereby I encounter Christ really and truly. Christ is encounterable today. His presence can always be seen because of the incarnation, because of the fact that he's taken our, our humanity. He's taken on really and truly the whole of humanity here. And I don't mean this in like an Iranian, like anonymous Christian sense, but that he's changed human nature so that he can now be present through the poor, the sick, etc., And also in a special way through the church. And so we need to be better at fostering a life of communion and community. Every great reform of the church has, has always come through the reform of community life. And for me, yeah. so I was talking to my friend, Father David, about this on the weekend. And he said it, and I was like, I've been thinking the same thing. Cause I was like, we gotta start praying to St. Gregory the seventh, um, which is we need a new Cluny in a way for those. Mm -hmm. So like, I won't go into the whole thing, but it's just Cluny was a reforming Benedictine movement that tried to live the charism of the Benedictine monasteries right again, because they got all rich and everything. So, but yeah. It was a reform of community that brought about a renewal of civilization that brought to us the high middle ages, um, which was really a thriving time of society and life. And so that's where we need to start. We need to start like locally in the concrete yep. experience and actually like seeking to bring Christ to others and to allow others to manifest Christ to us. That's where this starts. So then we could say, hey, wait, you're not living the life of community. And so the whole church can honestly say, listen, we want you here. We want you to desire to be here, but you need to leave this behind. By, but that can only st start when we stop privatizing the faith. Yeah, and that's actually excellent news because that means everyone listening to this can be a part of this. Right. Like it can be so frustrating to see, uh, you know, bishops meetings, politicians writing letters and thinking, what can I do? It's like you actually need to do the most important thing which is help build up your local community exactly. in christ exactly and that's everyone has a role in that that's more important than being a 
extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. That's more important than being a, a lector. That's more important than a lot of stuff. And that's something that everybody can start doing and start being a part of. Exactly. Huh. Uh, how's that? Father Harrison, great topic. Thanks for bringing that to uh, the discussion today. I knew I knew you'd come up with something good. You're you're very welcome. <laughs> All right. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me gaming with the militia immaculate on Destiny Two. You can find me on Twitter at fr harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.